1: Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 6th of July 2012. For newcomers, you should always make sure that you make good use of cuttingthroughthematrix.com because you never know how long these things will stay up there with the way changes are going and all the different laws. So make sure you you download as much as you can from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Lots of free audios there. There's also print-ups in English for transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given. And if you go into AlanWattSentinel.eu, you can find transcripts in other languages for print-up as well. And all the sites listed on the comm site have uh, the, the downloads. Uh, the, the downloads. So if you get sticking downloads, remember, too many folk go into the comm at the same time. Try one of these alternate sites. Listed there, and what I do is try and bring the past to the present to show you that things just that simply are all connected. We're living through a big script, a big business plan uh, set out a long time ago, an awful long time ago actually. But at least at the beginning uh, of the 20th century, the big organisations came together and came out into, into the open for the first time, such as the Royal Institute of International Affairs, to. Set out a plan to take over the world and all of its resources, all the people in it, bringing a scientifically run society, depopulation of course, and a a eugenics program to do with the general population, the ones that, that down the road training by Generation by generation by generation They get them to accept sterilization And then they breed the ones That they claimed were the better types And so on That's all part of it That's where your science fiction movies come from And lots of novels Because uh, that's how they get the idea out to you Mainly through fiction And occasional blurb on television documentaries So help yourself to that Remember too, you are the audience that bring me to you Because I don't bring on advertisers as guests I don't sell you anything to save your lives and make you live forever. And I have no uh, interests, financial interests in any corporation companies that sell anything at all. And the ads you hear on this programmer have nothing to do with me, but they do pay for this broadcast to get out on RBN, and uh, we should be grateful for that. The people are at least sponsoring that, and I, as I say, I don't even know who the advertisers are. The money goes straight to RBN. So you can support me by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMetrics.com. And you can go in, from the U.S. to Canada. Remember, you can order using personal checks or international postal money orders or use PayPal or send cash. And donations are really, really welcome. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal once again. And as I say, what I do is go into the histories. You've got to understand the histories that brought the different generations up to where we are today. And you have to understand why they were changed piece by piece, culturally and otherwise, to get them ready for the stage of the game, the big amalgamation project. Just like, uh, you see, if you're run by big corporations working together in collusion uh, with their long-term business plans, including their mergers down the road, that's exactly what they plan for the world. Marx talked about it, a three-block trading world under a super government of the world. And uh, we're going through that today as amalgamate continents. Uh, they caused crisis after crisis to make sure, not only did they amalgamate them for economic reasons, but totally uh, integrate them for political reasons as well. Totalitarian, if you like, centralization of power is always part of it. Same with the American uh, integration. It's still going on for those who don't know about it. And eventually it will all be won from, from from Alaska all the way down to the tip of Latin America. We're well on on the road. And that's how big corporations do it. Amalgamate, amalgamate, amalgamate. And until we're all one, you see. Owned by the big bankers. You know, the real big bankers uh, that are at the top of the tree and the big society they belong to. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and it truly really is a matrix because there are so many rooms and areas to the matrix and so many levels to it as well, they get you stuck, that's the whole intention is to get you stuck thinking you know it all, but you don't know it all, you don't know those rooms above you, to the sides of you, beneath you, and that's how this construction of the system is really made. We have a reality given, a basic reality that everyone's indoctrinated into, uh, from birth uh, through schooling, schooling is imperative for subsequent uh, propaganda to take on you. And and then basically fiction, movies, the media keeps it up from, for the rest of your lives. You're trapped forever, thinking everything's quite normal. You don't agree with everything, of course, because they always give you um, choices and everything. This choice or that choice is always two choices, which go nowhere anyway. It doesn't matter which one you pick, just like political parties. And um, the whole future is marked out and worked out all the time, not through government employees, but by the parallel government that Margaret Thatcher talked about and that every ex-president and ex-prime minister is a part of. Because, you see, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, same thing, set this organization up a long time ago. And they call it themselves a parallel government full of technocrats, ex-politicians and high bureaucrats who um, are still employed working for the rest of their lives on the real agenda because they say that democracy is too cumbersome so they don't go through government and this parallel government runs ahead, makes all the decisions, goes across the world, meets all the big wigs, makes deals, gets treaties drafted up and is stamped by, by your elected representatives. That's how the world really, really runs. And it always has for the whole of your life and the past and your parents and grandparents too. It's been that for an awful long time. And those who worked in the Council on Foreign Relations, like Carl Quigley as the historian, he verified this too. He said it doesn't really matter what people vote because the parties are all the same. See, the agendas are written out in black and white and chiseled in stone, and they're not going to deviate from the agendas once they set their mind on it. And then they have all the foundations, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of foundations or fronts, to launder money to non-governmental organizations and give them the cash to lobby governments to get the right social changes through, to change all of society for this world system. Academia is completely on board with it, utterly PC, and uh, and they all know that too. Those who want to get up and get their tenures and professorships all know how to do it, be very politically correct. No matter how crazy it sounds uh, or whatever you you, you back, you must always go along with the PC nonsense. Now, for the rest of you, of course, you really slaves, and your taxpayers, that's your purpose. Uh, they're good shepherds, and then, of course, there are the sheep, and that's how they talk about it at the top. That's how they also discuss it an investment, at CEO corporations, even training for universities. They talk about the wolves at the top and the sheep at the bottom, and these are the actual terms they use to their, to their students. So we are fair game for anybody. We, we supply all the cash that's spread across the world now, which is redistribution of wealth from the communist manifesto. Cause those who, who ran communism are running this present state of the world as well. Forgets Stalin, forget Lenin is another branch or, or, or side to communism altogether. And it was a front in itself, in fact, you might say. So, but we're certainly run by them and it's the same agenda for total dominance of a small minority over all the rest. That's what it's about. Now, once in a while, articles come out. Doesn't mean much to us because we're under total surveillance. We have been for years. And even when they haven't passed laws, they don't care about laws at the top. They go ahead and do it anyway under covert operations. They can't tell you for reasons of national security, so no one can do any investigations into them. Never mind get them into court. But once in a while, people do get, come out and give you a little glimpse into the workings of it. And that's all we really get is a glimpse. It says three NSA whistleblowers back the EFF's lawsuit over government's massive spying program. The EFF asks court to reject stale uh, state secret arguments so case can proceed. And since San Francisco, it says three whistleblowers, all former employees of the National Security Agency, have come forward to give evidence in the Electronic Frontier Foundation's lawsuit against the government's illegal mass surveillance program. It's called Joule versus NSA. In a motion filed today, the three former intelligence analysts confirm that the NSA has or is in the process of obtaining the capabilities to seize and store most electronic communications passing through its U.S. intercept centers, such as a secret room at the AT&T facility in San Francisco, first disclosed by retired AT&T technician Mark Klein in early 2006. For years, government's lawyers have been arguing there are cases too secret for the courts to consider, despite the mounting confirmation of widespread mass illegal surveillance of ordinary people, said EFF Legal Director Cindy Kohn. Now we have three former NSA officials confirming the basic facts. Neither the Constitution nor federal law allow the government to collect massive amounts of communications and data of innocent Americans and fish around in it in case it might find something interesting. This kind of power is too easily abused. Uh, we are extremely pleased the more whistleblowers have come forward to help end this massive spying program. So it gives you the names of them, and it won't go anywhere, of course, because of the simply bring down the usual clause reasons of national security, and we can't tell you any more, etc. That's how it generally works. That's how it works. And the way that the money, the U.S. the U.S. are the most generous people in the world. They don't know they're the most generous people in the world because they don't get a bill every week from the government saying you now owe us this, because we're throwing your cash across the planet in gifts. And presents, uh, uh, etc. Even to the big corporations across the planet, as they redistribute the wealth, it's just amazing. Uh, a country that's the biggest debtor nation in the world uh, is, is is doing what they do with the money. Is they know? You understand when you see all of this, you know there's going to be an end to it. And the end, will be a, a simply a writing off as a, as a new world system is brought totally in as a global governance and banking system. Now, we'll let's write all the old stuff off because it can never be repaid. But um, it's, uh, it's definitely on a roll. And when you go into uh, even this kind of thing, it says Jewish groups grab huge share of grants. And this is from the forward, the Jewish newspaper in the States. It used to be the communist uh, paper, the main one for, for the U.S., but it's, it's called The Forward, and it says almost all Homeland Security grants go to Jewish non-profits. Uh, now, why are they given out grants to non-profit organizations using taxpayers' money? It says the Jewish institutions for the U.S. will receive $9.7 million in federal anti-terrorism grants this year out of a total of $10 million. That's almost at all. Allocated on for not-for-profit institutions by the Department of Homeland Security, that's six million dollars less than last year. But thanks to sharp cuts this year in the overall pool of money available through the program, the percentage of funds going to Jewish groups has nevertheless jumped substantially. A full 97% of the available funds in the Non-Profit Security Grant Programme for 2012 have been allocated to Jewish organisations, compared with 73% that went to Jewish groups from 2007 through 2010. In 2011, Jewish groups received about 80% of the NSGP funds. And... It says, unfortunately, there are risks attendant on the Jewish community that are not attendant in all other communities. The Department of Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano said in an interview with the forward in early June, weeks before the new allocations were announced, the allocations and security grant program fund security enhancements for -for not-for-profit institutions to defend against terrorism. wasn't what the DHS is supposed to do themselves. Anyway, announced the grants as part of a larger $1.3 billion package of so-called preparedness grants. The 2012 allocations include $97 million for port security and $87 million to protect transit systems. The $10 million NSGP allocation this year represents a drastic cut from the $19 million the program dispersed in 2011. Does anybody check out and see what happens with all this money? Do you really wonder about that? Do you ever wonder about things? As a forward reported last September, there's nothing in the law authorizing the program that says it should benefit Jews specifically, but several factors, including community education, regarding the program and its grant application process, have combined to help Jewish groups in particular to benefit from it. What it is really is this wiki wheel gets degrees, and that's what every other institution and NGO and everything else should start to learn, uh, that the more you yell, the more notice they'll take off you. And you don't stop yelling even when you're being ignored because that's how you get grants in, in this particular modern-day system. You have to do lots and lots of yelling, lots of it. And yeah, this is an interesting one too. Uh, I, I don't understand what happened to the Presbyterian church, churches. I thought they'd gone with the Stone Age because they're so quiet about things. But it says, they must have been given t- shots of testosterone or something, uh, or maybe they didn't get grants, maybe that's what it is, I don't know. It says, U- U.S. Presbyterian Church Committee votes in favor of Israel divestment resolution. The committee voted assembly in Pennsylvania could be a sign that discourse amongst U.S. Christians on Israel is about to change, final vote to be held in the coming days. And it says... Following a lengthy and heated debate, a committee of 15 of the 220th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in the U.S. voted in favour of a motion calling for divestment from three companies that do business with Israel. Whether or not the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement against Israel is gaining traction is one of the hottest questions being asked amongst the most politically active members of the Jewish community, as many people take the issue to heart. This is from the Haaretz, which is a Jewish newspaper. Israel supporters claim that the number of participants in the annual Israel Apartheid Week have not grown significantly, and that the American Methodist and Presbyterian churches, despite regularly raising the topic of divesting from companies that profit from Israeli occupation, generally end up voting against it. The discourse is shifting, and not in Israel's favor. In 2008, the United Methodist Church rejected an Israeli divestment resolution. On May the second, the UMC General Conference did it again, rejecting a resolution calling for divestment from three companies doing business with Israel, although the conference did adopt a measure recommending a boycott of products made in Israel and in Israeli settlements. It says that this week the topic was raised again in Pittsburgh at the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church. Last time the resolution didn't even pass the committee level, let alone the general vote. This time something different happened. Committee 15 of the 220th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church voted in favour of a motion calling for a divestment for, from Motorola for providing surveillance equipment for Israel settlements Caterpillar Corporation for providing bulldozers used for demolishing Palestinian houses, and Hewlett Packard for selling hardware used by Israel in its naval blockade of Gaza. The motion also called for the church to increase investments in companies promoting peaceful pursuits. Well, isn't that what they should always be doing in the first place? The final vote is expected at the General Assembly later this week. Rev. Dr. Walt Davis, co-chair of the Israel-Palestine Commission Network, called the decision an encouraging step. And they've got a lot of flack, of course, from the, the massive Jewish communities uh, inside America, the organizations. This is in response to Anti-Defamation League warned of the negative effect on the Jewish and American Christian relations. The American Jewish Committee called the resolutions generally puts to vote every two years at Presbyterian Church gatherings, an unfortunate tradition meant to vilify Israel and adopt positions of non-representative Palestinian leaders. Even Jeremy Ben-Ami, president of the leftist pro-Israel lobby, Jai Street, uh, wrote an article titled Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Put Allies at Odds. So we'll see what happens. And there'll be retribution, no no doubt about financial in some way or another, or, or people will start drawing money out. That's what generally happens to punish them. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and what a matrix it is indeed. And it's bad enough, you know, that they're all sharing our data, but they keep sharing more and more of our data with people all across the planet, because it's a global system, understand? And they're even using all of this too to further integrate the global system until they'll say, my goodness, we can't go on like this financially or any other way, and we've got to simply amalgamate and have a governmental body running the planet. Anyway, it says, new foreign uh, police forces, uh, or now foreign police forces, can snoop on your emails and texts as part of the Home Office's controversial Snoopers Charter. Foreign police forces will be able to obtain details of the British public's internet use emails and text messages emerged last night. In a controversial move, MPs were told that officials in Europe and the US would be able to take advantage of the Home Office's proposed snoopers' charter. The information could be used for pursuing UK citizens for crimes which allegedly took place while they were on holiday or over the internet. So they always have a little excuse that they could use it for. Campaigners are concerned that once handed over, the hugely sensitive information could be lost. Uh, Tory MP Dominic Rabb said, it's deeply troubling that foreign authorities will be able to access all their phone, email, text messages, Skype and web mail data see that tells you that that itself does tell you see, that are there, no nations anymore because they get everything everything about you and everyone else when you had nations for, even for security reasons you could even allow other countries to, to, to know how much your Reich national wealth was for instance things like that because economics is part of warfare and this is stuff that's going all over the planet your, your taxes are done in other countries like India uh, Canada sends them off there through the um, big military industrial complex, boys, that run all your data. And so does the US as well. So you can't possibly think of ever going to war with these countries. It won't happen. And that's what tells you it will never happen because, you see, you're already sharing all of your internal data with them. Anyway, it says, the government has allowed to track record of its own in safeguarding the data. And if Whitehall can't protect the privacy, what chance when it is shoveled off to Warsaw? The Home Secretary Theresa May is braced for a battle with civil liberties groups, backbench MPs and some internet companies over the Communications Capabilities Development Program. It will force internet service providers to keep the data of every website, visited email, text message and visit to Facebook or Skype for a minimum of 12 months. Police and other agencies will not be able to access the content of the email. They'll always tell you, well we can see that you sent it but we can't see what it is. Who's kidding who? I mean, this is what you tell little children And that's why we're treated, you know, like little children And, and mind you, it works with most of them Well, see, they can't actually read them, you know But this says they will know who was contacted when and by what method So, of course, they snoop and see the whole darn lot That's the whole point of it The Rolling Stones went on about uh, The magazine went on about Why is nobody freaking out about the LIBOR banking scandal Because of the rate fixing with a bunch of banks this is a library manipulation story, appropriately, has been exploded into a major scandal overseas. The CEO of Barclays, Bob Diamond, has resigned in disgrace. This, is, this was the first of what will be, undoubtedly be many major banks to walk the regulatory plank for fixing the interbank exchange rate. The Labour Party is demanding a sweeping criminal investigation. Mervyn King, governor of the Bank of England, responded the way a real public official should. That is, not like Ben Bernanke, and he was blasting the banks. It's time to do something about the banking system. Many people in the banking industry are hardworking and feel badly let down by some of their colleagues and leaders. It goes to the culture and the social uh, structure and the structure of banks excessive compensation, the shoddy treatment of customers, the deceitful manipulation of a key interest rate, and today news of yet another mis-selling scandal. All of England is in a furor about the revelations that Barclays, the Royal Bank of Scotland, and other banks were involved in monkeying with at least $10 trillion in loans. The Wall Street Journal is calculating that LIBOR affects $800 trillion worth of contracts. The banks gamed LIBOR, for two semi-overlapping reasons. As noted here last week, there were instances of Barclays traders badgering the LIBOR submitters to push down rates in order to fatten their immediate bottom lines, depending on what they were trading or holding that day. They also apparently rigged LIBOR downward in order to produce a general appearance of better health, essentially tweaking the credit scores a few ticks upwards. Most intriguingly, or perhaps disturbingly, there were revelations last week that the Bank of England Deputy Governor Paul Tucker had a conversation with Diamond at the peak of the crisis in 2008, a conversation that left Diamond and subsequently his traders with the impression that the bank had carte blanche to rig LIBOR downward in order to help allay spiralling public fears about the bank's poor financial health. So, uh, what happens in Britain? I don't think anyone in Britain has ever been put in jail From the banking system at all, unlike the U.S., it doesn't happen in Britain. They just give them a little. Well, the the blow to your reputation, will say the judge, uh, has been enough uh, to bring you into disgrace, and and that's their punishment. Then he gets his twenty-three million dollars, one bank he's invested in, and twenty-three from another, and he walks off to his private yacht somewhere. That's how it works in Britain, because bankers rule. You understand? Money rules the whole country. Money rules you. We're all slaves to it, and there are are definitely our slave masters at the top of this whole tree. And as we get through into massive anti-terrorism, which is for the rest of your lives, folks, so that's what it's all about. That's why they gave you all these sci-fi movies with the poor folk at the bottom living in rubble and these private armies dressed in black going around for those who owned the world. That's what you saw in sci-fi for a long time and that they're getting used to it as they privatise more and more uh, people from the army into these private organisations. But it's this military of defence decision to go ahead with Olympic surface-to-air missiles slammed by residents. Would you go to watch people running around in a circle uh, under all this armaments? And Would you go and do that? I don't think so. Back with more after this. <laughs> You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network, because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. Would you go to the Olympics, though, if if there's guys in helicopters with sniper rifles pointing them at you from way above your heads? Uh, And you've got all these special forces all over the place. You've got battleships in the Thames. What are they going to do? Just pummel, pummel, put shells into the the ringer? What are they going to do with all that stuff? And now you've got these surface-to-air missiles as well. Residents fighting plans to position surface-to-air missiles in high-rise buildings around London have criticized the Ministry of Defence for pressing ahead with the deployment. They want to use the rapier short-range air defence system. And it says, the the government announced today that the defence systems will be in place by mid-July, despite a potential legal challenge from a group of East London residents who don't want the systems placed on the roofs of of their tower block home. The MOD wants to place the rapier missile systems on buildings to prevent terrorists targeting Olympic sites. The defence system are are to be set to be positioned at sites in Bow, Epping Forest, Greenwich, and William Gerling Reservoir and Blackheath Common also set you place on the Fred Wig Tower in Leightonshire where Presidents plan to mount a legal challenge Brian Whelan, 28, said the plans were ill-conceived. Brian Whelan, a journalist and former resident at Lexington Building in Bow, one of the building's earmarked for the military deployment, told Yahoo News, today's decision shows the true arrogance of the MOD, which continued to push the ill-conceived plans with no consideration for the community's effective." I mean, his high explosives getting put on the top of your building. Would you like that? Would you? Last week we saw hundreds of Bo residents take to the streets to, to voice their opposition, and a petition with over a thousand signatures was also delivered to the Ministry of Defence. I mean, it's just madness, isn't it? But get, get used to it. You see, part of this is to create a spell. When they do these things, it creates spells over the people. Understand, it's like 9-11 with it, with its continuous uh, re- repetitive showing that towers getting hit, towers getting hit, towers getting hit. That, that's psychic driving. That's what they call it, psychic driving to get a point home that's going to be fixed in your memory forever. And it's the same with these spells that they, they give over you where it's coupled with fear and, and possibly terror for a lot of people as well. It creates a spell and it makes you feel very small, uh, worthless and helpless. And uh, that's all part of it too because there's bigger things to come in the future because the world, you see, is at war this is a world war that's going on and it's been going on since they started it and really kicked it off with gulf war one will be war and completely for all those years right up to the present time and there's more ongoing war to go uh, even in the american the um, military magazines they talked about what they call it perpetual war for your lifetime, because they've got a lot more uh, Muslim countries to take out across the whole world. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're even far away from the Middle East, it doesn't matter at all, because, you see, they don't want uh, uh, these religions uh, existing in the future society they propose to bring in. And that's quite simple about that. You see, they can't have that. So it's out and that's why you you only have war for the rest of your lives and sort of get used to it idea. They also know that there will be some real small acts of terrorism generally from people who are, are from countries who are getting bombed into smithereens as we speak and have been for years. And that breeds a generation who are rather unhappy with it. And they, but you can't get an army to fight NATO, so you, you end up getting what they've always had in the past, the small units that try to do real terrorism. So we've all to suffer for this big plan of a few at the top. So I get used to it, as I say. I love this article here because it's from MSN and it's, it's not really an article as such, they're handouts, really the way it's written is meant to swing people across to thinking about this particular topic. The big question, is it time to start growing GM crops in Britain? Is it, is it time, you see? As so genetic modification is a vexed question in the country, christened frankenfoods amidst the public backlash to the farm trials at the turn of the millennium, politicians have sought to keep their distance from the subject. I says, but now scientists, again, notice new priesthoods, you know, are trying to persuade ministers. Well, actually, they're lobbying on behalf of the GM industry and getting paid for it. That's what's not telling you here. So scientists are, are trying to persuade ministers. It's time to embrace uh, biotechnology. In turn, the politicians look like they are open to suggestions. That means their, their, their wallets are open, you know. And in fact, a new growth industry or strategy being formulated over the next few months is expected to show greater government support for GM crops. Well, it's like a massive campaign, and they'll have their front men in politics already paid off to, to come out with the positive stuff about it. It says farmers are keen for investment, and the National Farmers Union supports the growing uh, of genetically modified crops. And... Um, they come up with the same lies because every, every test that's ever been done and studies has been done disproves everything I'm about to read you. Scientists say, you know, these scientists, these white-coated, you know, the priests, GM crops produce a bigger yield. That's not true. It doesn't. It Reduce the need for pesticides. To eat a lot more pesticides. And it's, of course, it's a, a monopoly on the kind of pesticide you can use. Offer health benefits, yeah, you get cancers quicker and could help to feed the world. Actually, as I say, um, you get one particular uh, blight and any of the crops are tall and the whole lot's wiped out, whereas before it was mixed and so much would always survive. So this has been proven and disproven over and over again uh, that their claims are false. What it is is monopolization of the world's food supply. That's what it is. This is but for every positive report, it seems to be an equally convincing negative one. Research also shows GM crops can create superweeds, uh, do not re- reduce pesticide use or increase yields, and are not an effective cure for world hunger. And, um, and it's, then it says, yes, it is time to consider all options to help tackle global food security. Well, you'll have no global food security when one world corporation owns all your food supply, folks. That's my statement on that. And that's what it's all about. Total monopolization. Complete. Corner of the market is ours and your healthy ransom. That's already happened in India. Where farmers have been committing suicide by the thousands over the years. And the farms bought up by, guess who? The, the Rothschild Group. Then bring in their GM stuff. And that's true too. I've read these articles in the past over the years. What's actually happened there. And you have to go back every year cap in hand to the seed producers to get the seeds, you see. First before you keep your own seeds and be more independent. can't have independence in this monopoly game, can you? This is an interesting article to do with high pressure in the modern workplace and society, and of course psychopathic guys that get put in charge of big corporations. The ex-head of France's telecom, Didier Lombard, has been placed under investigation for harassment over a slew of suicides during his tenure as the probe widens to other former top executives. Lombard, who ran the company between 2005 and 10, was told Wednesday he was being investigated for workplace harassment and put on a bail of €100,000, as lawyer Jean Vale said on Thursday. It says Vale said Lombard had been heard by investigative uh, Magistrate Pascal Gand and provided explanations on the economic, technological, and regulatory conditions in which France Telecom evolved. Lomber stepped down in March 2010 after 35 suicides amongst his th- employees between 2008 and 2009. That's see that's a psychopath driving them. That's what happens. He can get into their heads, you see, and, and debase them to the bottom, and they, they end up suicidal. Europe's biggest internet provider and its, and its third mobile operator, trading internationally as Orange, France Telecom underwent major restructuring uh, to, to confront growing competition. During his time in charge, Lombard oversaw a huge reorganisation at France Telecom that involved the loss of 22,000 jobs between 2006 and, and 8. In addition, more than 10,000 employees were switched to other jobs. So he just rode them all to hell until this document committing suicide. He'd probably get promoted after that. As a, They might bring him into some other big corporation. Maybe for China. Navy plans $40 million fibre optic link to Guantanamo base. You think this war is finishing? Never. The $40 million project will put an underwater cable from the base in southeast Cuba through the windward passage to an undisclosed link in south Florida. And so it's a $40 million underwater fibre optic cable. And it says Mammy Herald has learned in the latest sign, the military is preparing for detentions and other operations at the Navy base for the long term. That's what I was telling you about this for the rest of your life and beyond. It only makes sense to do this if we're going to be here for any period of time, says Navy Captain Kirk Hibbert, disclosing the project in an interview last week before ending a two-year tour as a Navy base commander. Construction won't start for more than a year. And communications won't come online for probably two more years. So, a big project, very expensive, but what's that? Eh? I mean, as to say, the American taxpayers are the most generous people on the planet. And NATO warships are moving into the Med, uh, because they're all getting ready to plummet into uh, a few countries there. It says, A convoy of NATO warships has left Turkey for the Mediterranean Sea, purported to carry out anti-terrorism operations in the region, a report says, you know, we've never never declared wars anymore, even with uh, the United Nations. They say, but no more war. So you had policing; it was all policing, um, and to, re, to return people to or, or countries to stability, stability operations. You see, now it's anti-terrorism because you can't see the word war. According to July the fifth report published, the Turkish. Her yet daily, the standing NATO Maritime Group 2 set off from Istanbul and the group consists of Turkey's TCG, Geddes, Francis Courbet and Germany's Bayern warships and the three frigates have a total of 545 crew members on board with Germany leading the mission because they got the biggest box. German Rear Admiral Thorsten Kaller said on Wednesday the mission of the maritime group was to give a clear message to terrorists in the region that NATO is on duty. So it's all getting ramped up, of course, because they've got a lot to do in that region still. The big pharma companies, is quite something else. I mean, yet there's so many frauds going on, never many people dying with their pills and everything. Uh, that, uh, But you always hear these things coming out, and it means nothing, really, because what, what's a, a few billion dollars even uh, fine payout by these corporations when they're raking in billions, multi-billions? But it says... GlaxoSmithKline agrees $3 billion fraud payout. It's a hefty pill to swallow. Um, GlaxoSmithKline has agreed to pay $3 billion for introducing misbranded drugs and failing to report safety data following a criminal investigation by the US Department of Justice. The settlement is the largest for healthcare fraud in US history. This historic action is a clear warning to any company that chooses to break the law, says James Cole, the US Deputy Attorney General in a statement. The charges related mainly to three drugs investigators found that between 1998 and 2003, JSK unlawfully promoted an antidepressant trained uh, named Paxil, for treating depression in people under 18, despite no approval for this from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. You know why? It's because it's such a friendly relationship. Why bother? We'll tell them later, maybe in a few years' time we've done it. It's yeah. been like that for years, you see. Likewise, from 1999 to 2003, J.S.K. promoted, well, Buterin, a drug approved at that time only for major depressive disorder and for a host of other conditions, including sexual dysfunction and addiction to drugs. Finally, an investigation found that between 2001 and 7 JISK failed to send the FDA safety data, which revealed that the diabetes drug Avandia carried risks of congestive heart failure and heart attacks. That's like the other drugs that give you for arthritis, too. They were killing folk by the thousands, by strokes and heart attacks. I want to express our regret and reiterate that we have learned from the mistake that we made, said Andrew Whitty, which means they're going to put more guys in on the board of the FDA from their own corporation. Because actually, that's where they slipped up. They used to have it all stacked by their own boys. And they've been kind of slacking off recently. That's how they manage it. And then it's all passed through automatically. That's the real world I'm talking about. I'm not simply being facetious. That's how it really works. Also tonight, I'll put up a link to Roger Hayes again, secret court, arrested, tried, convicted, and jailed, no jury. And um, he's the head and the chairman of the British Constitution Group. And he was just whisked off one day, and that's the last people have heard of him, except I think he's on a hunger strike uh, at the moment. But we'll see how that goes. And uh, that's what happens when they disappear into the big, big machinery of government. You just disappear. It's like Guantanamo Bay. And... Uh, uh, no one can get in or get information out. But you'll hear on this video someone who does phone in and tries to get information, and you get the runaround. It's just quite something, quite something, really. You, you can really disappear in it, and that's part of the reasons they do it that way. Also tonight, has the normalizing of pedophilia begun, it says. CNN hosts scientists who sympathises with child predators' claims of brain wiring is to to blame, you see, for having this... And they love changing the names for it all, you see. And it says that Chelsea Schilling is a commentary editor and staff writer and so on. And it says, um, do people who rape children or fantasize about sexually abusing them deserve sympathy because they were born with the brains of paedophiles? That's a question a prominent scientist and well-known anchor at the CNN have asked in the wake of the recent Jerry Sandusky scandal. Actually, it's the annual meeting of a group who's trying to get it all through, and it's made up of professors who are homosexual and, and various other people. The CNN recently featured a story by James Cantor, a homosexual psychologist and scientist at the Sexual Behaviors Clinic uh, for the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, who serves as Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto. It appears that one can be born with a brain predisposed to experience sexual arousal in response to children. He wrote in his CNN piece. He continued, "Cases of child molestation that involve long strings of victims over the years of a course of years illustrate that it can happen when someone gives into or outright indulges in his sexual interests, regardless of his potential damage on others. It's those cases that dominate headlines and provoke revulsion towards pedophiles." But they are rare, he says. I don't think they're that rare. An untold number of cases merit sympathy, sympathy for the, for the perpetrators. The science suggests, you know, it suggests is a, a nice topic, you know, it's wide open. That there are people who, through no fault of their own, were born with a sex drive that they must continuously resist, without exception, throughout their entire lives. Little if any assistance is ever available for them. Well, most of them never seek assistance. They do all perfectly well by themselves, and apart from that, they don't want any help whatsoever, even after years of so-called treatments. According to the American Psychological Association, Cantor is passionate about the neurological underpinnings of sexual behavior and jokes, so I feel lucky to have found a way to stimulate my brain intellectually by indulging myself in thinking about sex all the time. He studied the brains of male pedophiles using magnetic resonance imaging. And Cantor explained his feelings. Pedophilic men have significantly less white matter, which is a collective tissue that is responsible for communication between different regions in the brain. Well, they always come out with this, trying to get a physical reason for things. Same with psychopaths as well, by the way. And um, remember, not all psychopaths end up in trouble or breaking the laws. And it's the same thing with the paedophiles too. So it's the, so they always, but they always try to get something physical to say, well, see, they can't help it. They can't help raping these children and so on. Because they're trying to normalize it, you understand? That's part of the agenda. He says, he explains from my experience with such individuals that paedophiles act on their sexual urges and molest children when they feel the most desperate. Well, I don't care. Anybody who has sexual urge for anything, it may feel a bit desperate, but you certainly don't molest anybody. Yet yeah, much of what society does has been to increase rather than decrease their desperation, he wrote. In the U.S., Cantor notes the focus tends to be on punishments and vote after sex abuse hacks taking place rather than implementing social policies aimed at prevention. What are you going to do? Ask them if they're going to rape somebody or whatever? And back with more after this break. Hi, folks, and just before I go to the callers, just I'll mention, too, that to, to tack on to the last uh, article, I'll put up an, a link to Dr. Judith Reisman, who's been following these uh, particular groups around as they have their, their big meetings trying to normalize pedophilia. She exposes a lot of this and what they're really up to, and she's got excellent sites up there. with lots of good information, so I'll put that up. Now we'll go to George from Ontario, who's been hanging on the line there. Are you still there, George?
0: Hello, yes, I am, Alan. I uh, was reading um, A Technical Society by Jack C. Lowe uh, on your recommendation actually uh, it's a very good book and it's very uh, interesting uh, I wanted to say that um, what he describes as technique seems to be the natural progression of uh how we're doing and uh not, sorry, what we're doing and it seems that today is what he's talking about uh perfectly refined
1: yes, oh yeah Um, These are all uh, techniques. That's the thing too that all all goes on about is techniques. And techniques uh, is more than the, the name implies. Technique is a whole science in itself with each different area. And technique works along with the psychology of the population of the time and those who are advancing the whole, or spearheading the charge towards a particular area and how they work on the general population to accept the technique and the whole idea of big, massive changes. So you're quite right, yeah.
0: Yes, and what's most interesting is people uh, voluntarily, it seems that they like to go in in that direction, and and that's, I I truly believe, the reason that we're here in this situation right now is because uh, we walked into
1: it, basically. We have walked in because they actually say at the top it's a mousetrap. Even the computer is a better mousetrap. And these are the terms they use. You must be very appealing, very, very appealing. With the computer, there's lots out there. Even when they launched it, every newspaper in the world screamed, oh, it's got all the pornography. That was to get all the young people into it. That's why they kept her about it. It's guaranteed to get them in. And now that it's in, it's an essential part of most folks' lives. That's how they see it, at least, or think about it. And, in fact, they can't even change their ways to go back and actually meet real people and talk to real people. The studies I've done recently on 18-year-olds say they're very uncomfortable in company. And they can't even look each other in the eyes because they're so used to chatting online with these vague things in the ether and uh, uh, so uh, you're dealing with a, a, a warfare situation here where the minds of people have been actually altered, crippled, you might say, and there's no harm to anybody because people who can't communicate openly in person have, have never developed uh, fully into a proper human being. Yep.
0: Uh, it scares me what, what's going to happen in the next 60 years. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you was uh, uh, the, the Higgs boson uh, article. Yeah. Uh, ex- accelerator. Um, is it a coincidence that it happened on the fourth of July and uh, that they keep calling it the God particle? Everywhere I look, they call it yeah. by that specific name, despite the protest of the uh, of the scientists who discovered it.
1: Yeah. Well, it won't be a coincidence. I'm sure of that. Nothing ever is at that level. Mind uh, scientists too have. They are the new priesthoods. You see, they they are the new religion. Science is a new religion. And so they have to come out with these big articles as they, as they pretend they understand things and they pretend that they've got into the God particles and all the rest of it uh, for power over the changing of matter itself, the life in matter itself. But in reality, you'll find a lot of subsequent articles will come out afterwards of people trying to duplicate the same experiment and not being able to do it, or they reclassify the particle as something else, not quite what they expected. But uh, whatever they're doing, it's the military, it's at the forefront of it. It's, of course, everything's done for military purposes, ultimately. And it doesn't sound too great uh, for, for the rest of the world. But thanks for calling. And uh, from Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.